Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. But the higher up you go in an organizational chart, what's phenomenal, the, the conundrum and the paradigm is most organizations spend less time holding us accountable or giving us the opportunity to grow and develop. So it's fascinating. We spend a ton of time to learn how to do the job. And then once we get it, then it's kind of like, okay, I know it all. And, and, and we turn our, our minds off. That's the first mistake people make right there. Leaders are always learning. Leaders are learners and learners are leaders. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. Hello, welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in. And you know, I greatly appreciate you rating this show, leaving a comment and sharing it. I uh, That's how, you know, we start to get more traction and get more people learning more about how to be a high achiever. Enough of that. My guest this week is Dr. Jeffrey Magee. He has been called one of today's leading leadership and marketing strategists. Jeff is the author of more than 20 books, three college graduate management textbooks, four bestsellers, and is the publisher of Performance P360 magazine. He's a former co-host of the National Business Entrepreneur Program on Catalyst Business Radio and a human capital developer for more than 20 years. But what is really cool is Dr. Jeff he contacted me and, you know, we had a great conversation about him being a guest on the shark effect. And at first, you know, from, from just looking at everything that he's about and he's a doctor, I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is the right fit, you know, but then after talking with him and hearing his story and the passion that he has and the knowledge that goes along with all of his leadership, and he tells great stories and above any and everything is he give tangible uh, nuggets of information that you can apply. He gives like a formula of leadership and on sales. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to have a listen to our episode. Here we go. Dr. Jeffrey, man. Hey, thanks again for uh, for being on the Shark Effect. I know we talked a couple of times beforehand, but man, I'm I'm super excited for for my listeners to get a I get a listen to you and and, you know, all the things that you kind of you've helped people with, whether it's uh, military generals, whether it's 
Fortune 500 countries or, you know, professional athletes. You help them, you help guide them and all things leadership. I want to dive into that a little bit later. But first, welcome to the Shark Effect. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about Dr. Jeffrey? Sure can. You know, that's always a dangerous question because people can go on forever (laughs) at the risk of causing people to want to like turn you off. I don't want to go there. (laughs) It's a great question, Alex. And again, for our listeners and fans today, you know, just as our listeners should look in the mirror as I answer the question about me. I mean, we are the sum whole at whatever the ages our driver's license says we are. We're the sum whole of every experience, every person, every success and every failure. The real, the real clue in that in terms of getting ready to answer your questions that that when we can learn from all of that windshield uh, and rear view mirror rear view mirror of life as I call it experiences then we can always be successful and growing and developing forward you can't ignore what's in the rear view mirror your history we but we do need to learn from it and leverage that and if you study successful people in businesses as I've made up my business for many decades to do that really is a huge clue I mean you're a pro athlete so the same thing, you're always learning, okay, what, what, what works for me that gives me a unique advantage on the playing field from the other players and how does all that come together as a beautiful concert so we can win the game. It's the same thing at home and at house. So I, I, my early years, I was raised on a farm in Colorado. You know, whatever that means doesn't matter. But the one thing that that, that taught me, of course, now it's a different perspective looking backwards, but what that taught me being raised on a, on a farm is that when you're on a farm, animals don't care what time of day or what season it is. They need to be taken care of. So it teaches you something about work ethic before you even realize that term. It teaches you things about discipline before you realize that term. It teaches you thing about things about perseverance and passion and attitude. I mean, all the very things that, that you obviously know you have to master to be a pro athlete. Your son is now in route to becoming a pro athlete. So you have the opportunity to model the right behaviors that he or she then gets a chance to grow up within. And so being raised on a farm, what I didn't realize then, which is important in answering your question, was that my parents, you know, good, bad, and different doesn't matter. They did a really great job giving me those experiences from which I now leverage decades later in life. Another example of being raised on a farm is that what do you do for fun and creativity? You know, back in those days, you had three channels on your TV station, and maybe four if you hold the rabbit ears the right direction. And I'll let your viewers and listeners figure out what that means if they're under the age of 40. <laughs> you know, so, so what do you do to entertain yourself? You didn't have Atari or Game Boy or, you know, satellite or Internet. But part of that also helps to, you know, guide you where you are today. And so I, I had the opportunity, and that's the way I phrase it. I had the opportunity to spend two years in first grade. A lot of people don't get that. And that's also part of the problem. So some people will get this joke later in the day. Love the opportunity. I opportunity. love it. And, and that's a major problem with K-12 today is that we push people forward before they're physically or mentally or emotionally mature enough to go forward. And parents make the major mistake of saying, oh, you know, you're not going to hold my son back. You know, Alex is great. We're going to push him in the next grade. It's like, no, your son may be great. But right now your son's as dumb as a box of rocks. Pushing him forward is not going to help him. And then that, that story. So now let me jump to today. That story has everything to do with with looking for a job or hiring smarter or leading people better or being a better person in your neighborhood or in your church or in your PTA or wherever. That what we do is we play favorites. You know, one of my classic phrases is diversity for the sake of diversity is not diversity, it's insanity. You know, again, promoting Alex or Jeff or promoting Susan or Tammy or promoting, I mean, insert whatever name you want, doesn't matter, but just promoting someone or hiring someone for the sake of it doesn't help anybody. So being held back in first grade, what that taught me and my teacher, her name was Mrs. Murphy. I mean, you can't even make this up. It's so great. Talk about Murphy's law. I was introduced to the first and real Murphy's law. Uh But Mrs. Murphy was, did such a great job and setting me up to spend two years with those kindergartners, I didn't really realize I was actually held back in first grade until later in life. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but they made me feel great about the fact that, hey, you're going to circle back and be with these kindergartners next year as well. So you might as well get comfortable, but they didn't do it in a demeaning way. Because again, here's the problem. If you push me to second grade and let's say, Alex, now you're my playmate, my classmate, and you're in second grade and you get it and I don't, well, if the teacher is smart enough to realize, hey, Jeffrey's not getting us, let me lean in and help him more. Let me engage his parents and get his parents more engaged. There's a major problem in society today. We have a lot of people that take time to create the child, but are never going to take time to grow the child. Mm. So shame on those parents and society and neighborhoods. And, and then so what happens when I'm in second grade and Alex gets this 
is that if no one helps me and my and my my classmate Alex doesn't help me, then I'm going to deflect attention away from my deficit, and I'm going to either put my energy on something I'm better at doing, or I'm going to act up. And everyone misreads and they go, oh, "Jeff's the class clown, or he's not doing his homework." No, I'm I'm dumb on that. No one's helping me. Add 30 years, and that's our society in terms of employment. We don't hire the right person, onboard the right person, integrate the right person to the team by having, in essence, the right the right. Uh, management engagement and maybe you know a sponsor an advisor uh, an advocate a mentor all the ways we can grow people better what we do is we end up having a ton of people in the workplace that are averaging you know c-level performance on any given day because most management and leaders are b minuses on any given day because we don't we don't do the right work ethic which takes me back to the beginning of tell a little bit about you so I just use one vignette being raised on a farm and how that sets someone up for different in life I jumped that to use a pro athlete that to be successful as a pro athlete, you have to have work ethic and dedication and commitment and discipline and et cetera. So those are some things I was raised with early on that I didn't realize would follow me the rest of my life. So that was early childhood. You know, I went to college to be a journalist to get to your real question. That was my passion to be a journalist. And I went to a great college in Kansas to, to, to learn that craft, had phenomenal faculty members. Baker University was my alma mater for my undergrad. Uh, you know, part of its claim to fame, one of the oldest universities west of Mississippi, um, the Society of Professional Journalism, you know, one of its uh, its founding fathers was, you know, from Baker University, et cetera. It's a lot of roots there. But two years into journalism in Kansas City, I quickly recognized journalism was a very negative, bitter, caustic industry. I mean, it's not that way today, but it was in the 80s. You know, it's always about, you know, finding out something negative about someone and run with that as the lead. Again, we don't do that today. It's always about, in essence, finding faults with other people because the journalists are better than God and Jesus Christ and they walk on water, but it's not that way today. But that's what it was in the 80s. I realized that that's not for me. I, I, I want to talk about positive <laughs> moving forward. So I left it, went into sales, and, and the rest is history. As they say, the last 30 years have been a great ride. A lot of trials and tribulations, a lot of successes. Love it. I love it. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you skipped over a part in there when you were 15 years old. And when you was 15 years old, I did my research now, 15 oh, years old, you, scary. You, <laughs> you had a little business. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Wow. I have not been asked about that in many years. Wow. All right. So here's a flashback, folks. Again, creativity. So I'm in junior high school. Uh, as such, when you're of that age, you want a job, but legally, you really can't get a job. You're kind of like right under the radar of what you can and can't do. Unless you're in Agri-America, then, I mean, Agri-America violates child labor laws from day one. As soon as you're born, you're working, <laughs> you know, sort of, which is great. Maybe we need more of that. So I'm in junior high school, you know, older brothers and sisters have jobs and or have already left home and they're married and starting their lives. And you get a little bit older, you know, you can get a part-time job, whether it's at McDonald's like you had or whether I'm working at a car wash. Of course, if you're a little bit younger than age 15, I mean, you can do the lemonade stand. You can, you know, the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, sell cookies, you know, gift cards, et cetera, you know, mow lawns, do babysitting. But it's really kind of a, a finite number of jobs in between here, what you can do when you're, you know, younger. But what happened was my mom worked for the telephone company in, in the town that I was raised in. And back in those days, AT&T owned the market, basically. You had, you know, small telephone companies in rural America, and there's still a ton of those today. But basically, AT&T owned the world. And if you go back to the 1970s, most phone books started with A for Mr. and Mrs. Alpha and ended on Z for Mr. and Mrs. Zebra. And then in the middle of that phone book, so this is a history lesson for those of you who don't know what a phone book is. You know, back in the old days, research was you had to go to the library. You couldn't Google it on your phone. Uh, you actually had to do some work and work your brain. So you had phone books. And in the back part of the phone book, in the middle, usually it was like, you know, blue pages for all the government listings. And you had all the yellow pages for businesses. Well, when those phone books would come out, they would let people like you and I or our older brothers, sisters, or moms and dad know, that, hey, all the phone books are here. You know, they're down at this warehouse. And, you know, not everyone knew, but people would go down and get a chunk of them with a kind of a computer printout as to what neighborhoods you wouldn't drop the phone books on people's front doors. You come back and they'd pay you for that and you could get another chunk. It's kind of how phone books got distributed. Mm -hmm. So a, a couple of my friends, uh, Mike Roslin, God, these names are coming back. I haven't said some of these names in decades. Uh, and, and Scott Butler and I, we got together. And so Mike Roslin, he was the rich kid. He had a little Chevy Chevette car. So he was the driver. I was the, uh, the sales guy. Imagine that. And uh, Mike Butler was kind of the creator, Scott Butler was, uh, was the uh, creative artist. So what we did was we went around to all the merchants in our neighborhood, the 7-Eleven, the liquor store, the dry cleaners, the Subway restaurant. And we took an eight by 10 sheet of paper 
You fold that over, you get three little slivers on an eight by 10 sheet of paper. And we sold that as a coupon. And then we had these coupons printed up. We went to a you know, guy locally that had a little print shop. And so we got him to give it to us you know, at a dirt cheap price because we gave him one sliver as a coupon. And we created these coupons. We printed them up. And then a bunch of us that got in my parents' basement, we'd cut those up, shove them in an envelope. And we created a company. We called ourselves Cherry Blossom. And we had these coupons in an envelope. And so we would put them in the phone books as those phone books were dropped around our neighborhood. So people would open up the phone book. Here were the coupons, in essence, ads. Some of them they would use, some they wouldn't, but they'd keep them in the phone book. And then when they needed something, they'd open up and they'd use a coupon. So then the next month we went back to the people say, hey, you want to advertise again? They go, holy crap, yes. We don't know what your kids did, but this was great, yes. So that was kind of the early forerunner to coupons being in the back of phone books is what that was all about. And so now it's all automated and online and so that was our business. And so it was cool. So a couple little vignettes. First, we put them in the mailboxes. And of course, the, you know, the postmaster got excited about that because you can't legally do that without a stamp. But we're all little kids, so you don't really want to arrest little kids. So you just send an Instagram saying cease and desist. But yeah. so then that took us to the phone book. But we learned about business as that story because we had an assembly line with other kids cutting those things and shoving it. We had a little sweatshop, I guess you would call it in the basement. You know, we gave them, you know, gave our little classmates a couple of bucks and free pizza. Boom, they did all that. You know, then we paid some other kids money to go put them in everyone's mailbox or on their front step. So that early story, Alex, was about business. So thanks for asking. Man, that's an old, old story there. <laughs> no, I love that, man. And, you know, I want to, I want to ask you a little bit about what you do now, right? Because you've you've written or authored over 20 leadership and performance books. You've worked with, like I said before, generals in the U.S. Army. You've worked with Fortune 500 CEOs, C-suite executives. I want to ask you, like, what are the things, that, and it's typically around leadership, right? So Absolutely. what are some of the things that they come to you and you help them, like, What's missing in their in their leadership? I mean, because it's, it's, they have the platform, but they, it sounds like they don't have all the knowledge. So right. I want I want to yeah I want to let you expand on that. So you know, coming at this from a performance psychology sort of a perspective, you know, one of my coaching or one of my management leadership approaches is I believe life is a formula. Everything's a formula. You know, exercising is a formula. Whatever your craft is, it's a formula. Management leadership, therefore, is a formula. When we're children, and especially if a child has an older brother or sister, the younger sibling very quickly looks at their older brother and sister, and if they do something and get away with it, they know exactly what the steps are, what the behaviors are, what the formula is. If their older brother or sister gets in trouble, they kind of think to themselves, okay, that was kind of dumb, bro. They shouldn't have done it that way, and they adjust the formula. So in looking at leadership, it's the same thing as a formula. So there is a formula I've created called the Player Capability Index. And uh, it's in you know, several of my books, uh, four graduate management textbooks I've written there and all of those. But I've written one out of the 21 books you, you just talked about. I've written only one personal success book. It's called Your Trajectory Code. You know, listeners, you can go online and buy it. And in that book, chapter five, I talk about this Player Capability Index model. So one of the things I've learned is a finite linear model how do you grow a great leader? There's actually a way to do it. How do I help to look at the talent hierarchy to, to, to find, uh, interview, hire, onboard, and integrate great leaders within my organization at any level or to build that trajectory of my senior bench one day? Or how do I go in and engage a senior bench and really grow them to the next level? This formula works at any level. It's also a great parenting formula. If you have a child who's seven years of age and says, you know, I like to grow up and be X when I grow up, whatever that X job is or, or, or industry they want to be into, this form will help you to grow your child to be, you know, you know, light years ahead of everyone else when it's time for them to step into that role. So some of the specific answers is, is the knowledge set. What really is the, the knowledge, whether that's formal or informal, whether it's technical or non-technical, whether it's certification or non-certification, part of the pathology in answering your question of, of, of what do leaders have or what do they miss is what's really the knowledge. You know, most of us in our professional careers, when you start your career, we spend a tremendous amount of time in knowledge gaining, you know, learning how to do the technician side of our job or how to interact with people or et cetera. But what's interesting when you think about you know, a talent pyramid where your senior most leaders are at the top and rank and file entry levels in the bottom and you have 9,000 levels in between potentially or very few levels. What's interesting is that at the beginning of our careers, as I said, we spend tremendous time, money and energy to learn how to do our job or to be more proficient or to be masters at it. But the higher up you go in an organizational charts, what's 
phenomenal. The, the conundrum and the paradigm is most organizations spend less time holding us accountable or giving us the opportunity to grow and develop. So it's fascinating. We spend a ton of time to learn how to do the job. And then once we get it, then it's kind of, okay, I know it all. And, and, and we turn our, our minds off. That's the first mistake people make right there. Leaders are always learning. Leaders are learners and learners are leaders. So are you always learning and putting stuff into your head? You know, Benjamin Franklin had a classic line. that said, the person who empties their purse into their head will never be bankrupt. See, I can take that, that Nike shirt away from you. I can take that Nike contract away from you. I can take that Nike provided car from you, just playing off of that Nike emblem on your shirt. But if you have mm -hmm. knowledge between your ears, you will always be sustainable. So no matter who you are, what we sometimes do is we, we, we in essence, cash our checks before we get them. You're a pro athlete. You know, I, I went to college to be a pro athlete. If you think about it, I went to college on a, on a cross-country scholarship, distance runner. That was my, my space. You know, when I graduated from high school in Colorado, I was one of the top runners in my state. I could freaking run anyone into the ground and I could go forever. Now, that's not what I can do today, but I could back then. So, but, but you know, the, the faculty that first engaged me when I went to college, they were very smart to say, okay, that's great, but you need multiple disciplines of greatness before you graduate. Because if you're banking everything on being a runner, you better hope you don't get an injury that holds you back from being a runner or you're screwed. And that's what happens mm -hmm. to many people in life is that they're, they're so good at only one thing that if that one thing disappears, they're SOL. So one is what's the knowledge. So great leaders are always learning. Uh, recently, uh, one of my one of my clients retired from uh, his business. He was CEO of one of the top agri banks in the United States, and uh, he was recognized a year later by all of the agri banks as basically the influencer, the accelerator, you know, the VIP of the year. And so they gave him a great acknowledgement. What's interesting is in the interview, one of the questions was asked of him, similar to this you know, what is it that you've done or you would point to that is some of the KPIs, key performance indicators of your success in your organization? And how did you always grow? What was interesting is said it was my personal goal. Yes, I had coaches, but my personal goal was to read at least 24 books a year, every year for the last several years as a CEO. 24 books a year. Think about that. Most people don't even, you know, look at one book a year, much less read one. So again, when you say, what are some of those deficits? So there's a whole formula to this that I'm sharing with you and our listeners today. And I'm just going to hit a couple of them. And all I've talked about now for about five minutes is just one category. What are you always doing to grow your mind? I mean, are you going back to the next level of formal education? You have a high school degree, go for the bachelor's. You've got a bachelor's, go for the master's. You have a master's, go for the PhD. Or don't go for the formal. What about, you know, executive development programs? Lots of universities have these two-week programs or one-year accelerated programs. Or what about, in essence, online accelerated training programs? I have some, YouTube has some, LinkedIn has some, et cetera. So there's lots of ways to always grow the mind is the point. Second, the second place that the leaders that need to be growing miss, or your question of what is it that they need or they don't have. Second is leaders truly are practitioners. They're doing these things. You know, I, I say it this way. If you don't have mental and physical calluses, why is your mouth moving? Shut up, sit down, and let someone help you out. A lot of people have mentally never done anything, but they're going to tell you how to do it. They have physically never done anything, but they're going to show you and tell you how to do it. So what are the mental and physical calluses? So it goes back to performance. I mean, I love when I'm around a leader that's actually done things. I mean, you know, Elon Musk is, a, you know, don't worry about the Elon Musk today. Go back and look at, you know, 15, 20 years ago, articles and videos of him. And you'll see just what kind of a freak he was 20 years ago because he was way outside the box. But when you look at the lens of today, you go, holy crap, this man is successful because he was not necessarily the freak. He was doing what no one else was willing to do. Work ethic, dedication, commitment, working when everyone else was not working, pushing the envelope of what could be versus what is. So a lot of people don't have the what could be mentality. So that goes to vision, innovation. Leaders have those elements. I mean, phenomenal question you've asked, Alex, and there's so many, in many ways to tack it. So I would encourage our, our listeners, get a copy of one of my books, look at the formula, player capability index model, and you'll see exactly, specifically, where your weak, double down and make it a strength. Where your strengths are, double down and leverage it more. You're going to grow leaders what they need. But the two places I would start is the academic side and the practitioner's side. Are you growing your brain and are you actually doing it? And that's the problem we have in society is far too often we elect good people that prove themselves to be idiots. We hire good people that prove to be idiots. We have to terminate people that were good people in the beginning, but because we set them up for failure, we don't say anything good about them. And our ego, the last answer, ego is what kills everything in this conversation. 
Leaders that are great leaders are transparent. They're open. They have a servant heart and mind. They're willing to say, you know what? I screwed that one up, Alex. As a matter of fact, I screwed it up huge. How do we fix it? I mean, if someone just does that, it's kind of hard to keep beating someone up at that point. But when you're in denial because your ego gives you this, this, this wall of I'm better than everyone else, we're in deep trouble. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. So what is like, why do we hire these type of people? Why do we um, put these people in these leadership positions? Is it because they can talk a good game? Is it they, you don't, or the people who are hiring, they don't see the character of them? Or do they just, is that the, the, uh, the second thing? Is it the first thing, what type of knowledge they have, what type of experience? And what is most important for, for you? Great question. So a while back, I wrote an article, and this is on my LinkedIn page, so anyone can go find it. Uh, the article is called Nomads Are Parasites in Your Business. And it really got a lot of people stressed and upset. And so that's good. It made them think. I love it. Yeah. yeah it made yeah. them think. And some of the people that, that you know, wrote me some nasty grams, I kind of just smile under my breath because the reason I got upset is because they obviously saw themselves in the article. So the first thing I talk about is if someone, you know, again, you look at someone's resume, again, there's always an exception to any comment or rule, as they say. So you really have to be, have clarity when you're going to make an exception to the statement. So with that disclaimer, several ways to answer your question, why we mishire. Sometimes people are great talkers. Absolutely. Sometimes people make us feel so comfortable so quick, we forget what we're really there to do, which is to find someone to feed and fill a need we have before we ever met them. And so we get distracted off on the tangent. Third reason we mishire, sometimes we're, we're hiring someone who's going to fit into our team too quickly versus, wait a second, if you have a need right now that your team right now is not fulfilling, then you need to go find someone who's crazy enough that can fulfill the need you have versus, wow, Alex is not doing this job that I need done. McGee's not doing this job I need done. Susan's not doing this job I need done. Wow, let's go, let's go find a new person to hire them. But then you hire persons just like Alex, Susan, and Jeff. Well, if they're just like us and we're not wanting to do that work, I mean, you just hired another person who probably doesn't want to do that work either. So we're not, we don't have clarity. So the, the article about nomads are the parasites of your organization is that someone, if you look at their LinkedIn profile or someone, if you look at the resume, changes jobs within an organization every one to two years or changes their employer period every one to two years, you may need to really drill and ask questions. Why can you not keep a job? Because what happens, and now this is a huge answer to Alex's question. Listen up, folks. See, there are six styles of management leadership intervention, how you manage and lead a human being. Six ways of doing it. You can say there's six ways of parenting, six ways of leadership. And the problem is two of those three, really, but two of the styles of leadership deal with how you engage an underperformer or a problem player. And I don't believe we typically hire a bad person right out of the gate, but something happens to cause someone to be a low performer or a toxic player in an organization. And there's ways to engage that toxic player that you can turn them around and they become a contributor. But if you don't do the right things, they become more toxic. And in most organizations, whether it's a union shop or not, or whether it's a legacy organization, or it's a family business, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's a government agency, sometimes what happens is no one's willing to do the tough love. No one's willing to discipline the child. Therefore, no one's willing to discipline the adult because they don't know how to do it. So they're afraid of litigation. Or they're afraid of a problem. But if you do it the right way, there's never going to be litigation. I mean, even the dumbest lawyer on the planet's not an idiot. And if, I, if Alex fires McGee and you've been coaching my bad behaviors to turn me around and it doesn't work and you've got documentation and you got documentation, whether it's conversational documentation or whatever, the first thing a lawyer is going to do when McGee's fired, because I'm going to whine, because again, 56% of Americans do love to whine, bitch and complain and not work. Gallup has some great research about the small percentage of Americans actually are worth hiring and which ones you can hire and get them to become productive and which ones you should never touch. That's another conversation. But <laughs> the lawyer is going to call Alex and say, hey, you terminated McGee and we think it was a wrongful termination, blah, 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 blah. Someone are going to say, send us the documentation of your, of your HR meetings with him. Well, if Alex sends a ton of documentation, it shows for a long time they've been trying to correct McGee's behavior. 
And I've been not only a terrorist in the organization, I've been a massive terrorist. And the lawyer gets a documentation and they go, well, Jeff, we'd love to suit Alex's company, but it looks like you're a loser, dude. Can't help you. Now they might be nicer, but no one does the tough love conversation. So the point about the nomad is that a lot of times people in the company don't help the problem player. They push them to the next division, team, or department. So again, I leave the business because I'm not getting promoted or I'm not getting my jobs. And sometimes it's because, no, you're not willing to do the work. You don't have the discipline. You don't have the work ethic. You actually are, in essence, you know, circumventing the process, causing problems. So we can hire better people. And so the leader owns being able to vet that out. No matter how big or small your company is, you can ask lots of legally based situational questions to find out someone's integrity. So that's an element. There's a, again, I could answer this forever, but let me give the last answer for everyone. Let me give you an exercise, folks, because again, part of being on these podcasts about leadership and pushing the envelope like Alex does shouldn't just be conversation stimulates thought. You should actually leave here and be able to do something. So if you were to take a blank sheet of paper, one of the exercises I do to answer this very question with leaders is I say, take a blank sheet of paper at the top of the page, just label it all-star player, all-star player. So you can take this exercise and apply it to a specific position within your organization or hiring a person in your company overall. So if you think about an all-star player, if this was me being asked to do the exercise, then you would say, Jeff, think of an all-star player in your organization right now. When you have their name, then you could put their name on the top of this page where the headline says right now, all-star player. So the question is, what are the traits or characteristics of an all-star player in your organization right now? And again, if you have one, then just look at them and think about them. And write down as long of a list of words as you want, because it never changes the output. And in, in, in if you're hiring for a specific position, if you have now or if you ever had an all-star player in that position, then think of them by name. And what are the traits and characteristics that that person possessed that you would love to go out and interview and find that in another person? So that's the first exercise. Now, when you're done, I have everyone go back and now we're going to score every one of those entries with one of two words. I mean, I'm, I'm giving away like tens of thousands of dollars of consulting right now. I charge big bucks for this exercise. But when <laughs> well, you're done, you. <laughs> you go back and you say, okay, every one of those entries are either going to be an A or an S. Sometimes it might be both. So which letter gets capital and which one gets small? So you'll know which one is the dominant. But if you think about everything you're right now, so let's, Alex, let's just, you know, I role play for our visitors right now. So if we're okay. thinking about just hiring a general per employee in any business in America or any business in the world, because this is a global podcast, what are some of the traits or characteristics from your lens that you, as an adult of anyone you've worked with in your life? What are the traits and characteristics of an all-star employee or member of an organization? What words come to mind? Integrity. Integrity. Give me another one. Work ethic. Hi. Work ethic. Give me a third one. Great communicator. Stop right there. So we have just three. So integrity, work ethic, great communicator. So every one of those entries are either an A, A equals attitude, or S, S equals skill. So the first thing we're looking for in someone is integrity. Is integrity an attitude or a skill? Oh. Attitude, direct hit. So work ethic, <laughs> work ethic, attitude, or skill? Attitude. Attitude. Good communicator, attitude, or skill? Oh. Maybe capital S for skill, but small Maybe. A for attitude because they both have to be there. I love it. So see, if you go through the exercise, you know, you may have something like, you know, technically proficient to do the job. Okay, that's going to be a capital S and maybe not an A at all. Or, you know, knows how to, you know, uh, work Word docs. Okay, that's probably an S, not an A. But even if you go through this massive list, you will always end up with, number one, more A's than S's. And even the ones that have S's, you may realize a lot of those have a small A next to them. So what you're really looking for is A's in your interviews. And that's exactly where two things in businesses screw up that I coach people on. Number one, we don't interview for A's, we interview for S's big mistake and our performance review systems that we use in organizations have more a than s think about it you were a major league pro athlete you served on a couple of different teams you had that opportunity in your life and everyone knows the stats think about this roughly 1.7 million kids play football in k-12 in the united states Seventy thousand get the opportunity to get get a scholarship and go play at the collegiate level 254 get drafted every year average lifespan of professional nfl football players three seasons i mean you know the math i know the math i did research on you so if you think about that that's why you better have a degree behind that playing football because if your football ever goes south guess what a pe major that you got in school what a lousy lousy job that college did you a disservice any college that allows an athlete to get a degree in physical education should be banished and ejected from the planet. You can get a PE degree, but what the hell is that going to do you in life? You better be made to be a double major, not a minor, but a double major. Mike McCarthy, head coach at the time we're recording this of the Dallas football, uh, football team, Dallas Cowboys, he and I were in college together. We were on the same football team. 
Now, I was a sports information writer. He was an athlete, but we still were on the same football team. Yeah, same team. Same but the coach, Coach Richards at that time, he since passed away, but was a brilliant gentleman. And at the time he passed away, he was the winningest NAI Division II football coach in America. He had great teams. But none of his players were allowed to be physical education majors, period. You had to have two majors. Mike McCarthy's an econ major. Brilliant guy. So again, it goes back to interview. We interview for the A, not the S. You got to interview for both. But if you do this exercise, you always come up with more A's. And then it goes back to your first question is, why do we mishire? And why do we in organizations sometimes don't have the right people? And does leadership own that? They own all of this, absolutely. We promote sometimes the wrong person because of favoritism, because we don't want to upset someone. And what you do when you do that, you actually do everyone a disservice. The people that don't get promoted, they sometimes mentally shut down and stay there for 20 years, mediocre employees or they leave and go somewhere else to become the competition and clean your clock. What you then do is you're lying to the person you promote for being great. Military. Recently, there's a gentleman who's been in the military his entire career. Every year he passed a physical fitness test. Every year he was in shape to get that, that, uh, that next promotion. Retired as a lieutenant colonel, which is a very high rank in the military. That's a high management, low executive sort of a job. And so what's interesting is that he retires with full medical disability. Wait a minute, how do you retire with full medical disability when last year you were completely healthy every year? So either someone lied in the rearview mirror, so a lot of people should be going to prison, or someone's lying right now, you should be going to prison. And that's an example of someone playing the game. And you never, ever saw military combat in your entire military career. In the last 20 years, we've spent so much time overseas. How in the hell can you be in the military for 20 years and not have been overseas, as an example? So again, with military generals, I got generals that'll stand up and say, no, we're not doing that. And I got other generals that should not have their rank. Take that general to the C-suite. In a business, the same thing with a C-suite executive. Promoting someone who doesn't have the ability to do the job sends the wrong signal to everyone in the company. If it's a family-owned business, doesn't matter, or if it's not a family-owned. So that is a powerful question you've asked. I gave you three examples of how you avoid it, and I gave you five stories of where it happens. Man, I love it. And I can tell just how you're, you're engaging me and us. is like you're very passionate about this subject. Yes, and I love thank it. You. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about also, uh, you know, you're talking about sales, you know, you, you know, you have sales background. This is something a lot of people don't know about myself is when I was trying to figure things out, when I finished playing football, I finished playing football. I didn't do a whole bunch of research on myself. I thought that what I did was who I was. And when I finished, I was stuck. And I was uh, trying to figure things out. I talked with, you know, different friends and whatnot. I didn't have a, a personal development coach. So I was just trying to figure things out on my own. And so people say, hey, Alex, you know what? You'd be great in sales. You know, you can talk. You know, you, you, know, you look the part. And you have a great background. So you have that subject matter. You should go into sales. And so I went. I, <laughs> I had a job not for very long, maybe like a day, but it was door-to-door sales. I love door to, it. That, door to door that, sales. Teach you something quick, dude. Hey, door to door sales. I was another one. Um, I got into real estate for a hot second and down in San Diego, and I also got into the uh, insurance. Now all these things, like I was kind of feeling my way through, but it was in sales, and I didn't, I didn't sell anything. The last thing I sold was, man, back when I was, um, shoot, I was uh, back in middle school. And I was going door to door, you know, uh, trying to shovel people's uh, driveways. That's the last time I had to knock on somebody's door, try to sell something. What are some some things you could you could give someone like myself who was back in the day, you know, when I finished playing um, pro football that I was trying to get into sales and I didn't have a great understanding. What are some things you can give my listeners? Great question. So. That's the same place I found myself when I left journalism cold. And I always tell people from the stage or when I'm, you know, coaching or small groups, if you're ever unemployed or you want a major life changing trajectory, there's always a sales job in America open. There's always a sales job. Now, if you're not very good, you won't keep it very long. You're right. But the need to communicate, share your story is always going to be there. So if, if you think about sales, let me let me respond to it this way. I mean, number one, I have a stutter. And so it's interesting. If you look at your deficit as a deficit, it will walk you away from so many opportunities. I mean, I'm a public speaker. I'm a sales trainer. I'm a leadership speaker. 
and I stutter. So that's quite entertaining. <laughs> so how do you do that? Well, when you're focused, the deficit's not a deficit. You, you plow right through it. Now I say that to get to the point. I just had to sell myself right there. I know that sometimes I may get caught on a word or two. You work through it. And a lot of times no one else is even going to notice that you got stuck unless you do make the comment about it. So I make the joke line. I humor it. Now no one's, no one's distracted when I when I you know, stutter or something. So that's an example of selling. Selling is when you believe in your message, you believe in your story, you believe in your deliverable so much that then we can skill and train you on, on the art and science of how to present that. And then we train you and skill you up on the art and science of how to find prospects in your avatar and suspects and people that could benefit from that. And then we show you how to connect the two together. I do a two-day sales boot camp that I open, you know, offer publicly throughout the year. And, and sales training is one of my two core products. I do leadership and sales. So it's an interesting question you pose. Let me speak to that. Most people that speak on leadership, that's all they do. Or those that talk on sales, that's all they do. And here's what I recognize growing up in sales is that to be effective in sales you become successful. And then the typical pathology in America is you then get promoted to be the sales manager, having had no people skills or leadership skills. And if you're really good, then you might go somewhere else in the company. But if we think about the time of COVID, so if people are watching, listening to this sometime in the future, if you think about 2020, globally, the pandemic hit the planet. And if we just fixate here on the United States, here's something I realized, Alex, it makes your question so profound for our listeners right now. Every business in America during 2020 and 2021 that thrived, their senior leadership had sales in their pedigree. Every business that went from thrive to survive or died in 2020 and 21, every one of those business leaders did not have sales in their pathology. And that's why they got in trouble. Huge. And so that validates what I have been sharing and saying for 20 years, which in my leadership work, I always weave sales into leadership because you have to be successful at selling your ideas, persuasive in your ideas, getting people to understand your ideas, take ownership of your ideas, buy into your ideas in business. Well, it's the same thing in sales. So with that, let me answer that. So with that backdrop, let me give specific. If someone wants to be more specific in selling, there's a lot that I could give. Let me give you three steps. I've learned these three steps to sales and think of it this way. If, if people are watching, you know, if you grab your smartphone and you go on your smartphone to search anything on the internet, almost anywhere you go on the internet, if you search in your search bar to go somewhere and even on your computer, but we're just going to play with our smartphones here for a second. The norm is that when you find anything on the internet, on your smartphone, you're held hostage for three to six seconds, got a little ad pops up and it counts down. You know, you can skip the ad in three or five or six seconds. And at six seconds, if they've not done these three things with that commercial, you'll skip and go to where you're trying to get to. But in that three to six seconds in that commercial, if they do these three steps, then more often than not, you'll actually watch that commercial for a couple more seconds before you remember, oh crap, yeah, I need to skip this guy's going somewhere else. So you can even see my three lessons proven to you on your phone when we're done with this podcast, validated. So if I want to send an email to someone, these are your three steps. If I'm leaving a voicemail to someone, these are the three steps. If I'm in a video call with someone, these are the three steps. If I'm face-to-face, -face, these are the three steps. If I'm in a group meeting, these are the three steps. So here's how you sell. The first step to selling is the word awareness. So awareness deals with a couple of subnotes. Awareness deals with W-H-A-T and awareness deals with W-H-Y. If I want to uh, engage this Alex Molden guy I've never met and, and get him interested in bringing me on his podcast, then look at Jeff McGee, step one. I first have to send him, let's say, an email that helps you to become aware of who I am, that's a W-H-A-T, and why Jeff McGee might be someone of interest for you to want to meet an interview, that's W-H-Y. So the first step in selling is making sure the person understands what you're talking about, what you're suggesting, what your offer is, your what factor, and then why, why is the relationship to the recipient? Why is the motivator? Why is the rationalization to that person? So if I send a message to you via an email or, or any, any delivery vehicle, and I hit step one, you understand the what and the why, your brain is ready for step two. So I need to shut down whatever else I was going to do at one. I got to stop and go to step two. So listen to here, folks, you have a, you know, hundred point PowerPoint per, you know, presentation. And on slide five, Alex understands what you're talking about and why you better jump to step two. Cause the next 95 slides, if they're all done to make your case of step one, you're now going to turn him off on not wanting to go to number two and three. So mm -hmm. step one is simply awareness. The second step is the word engagement. 
So the second step to selling is engagement. And in my sales training, we talk about these three and I use different words, but it follows the same formula. If I'm talking about leadership, how do I, how do I present a change initiative to my organization and get them to buy into it, embrace it and, and initiate it? It's the same three steps. I first have to make the presentation to organizations so they understand what and why I'm talking about this, what and why it's important to them. Then number two is the word engagement. So engagement is H-O-W. Once your brain knows what someone's talking about and why, and your brain says, okay, yep, I have a connection to that. Then our brain goes to step two, which is how do I do this? How do I work this? How do I engage it? How do I do the steps? How do I turn this thing on? How do I you know, go on this ride? I mean, your brain's H-O-W. Once your brain understands awareness and engagement, the third and final step to change or the third and final step to sales is the word commitment. So commitment means W-H-E-N. Commitment is execution. So if you go to my website, Alex, so let's say folks, you have this you know, person that you paid a bazillion bucks to teach you SEO management and website and lead generation and click funnels and all the other buzzwords that people have made famous in the last decade or so, which none of them invented this stuff. It was out there before them, but they just put a new, new twist to it. Then what happens if I can bring you to my website and it's easy to bring you to the right landing page, that's all step one, awareness. And you can see what I have to offer that makes sense to you. That's awareness, step one. So then I have to make it easy for you to number two to click to number two, which is going to be the engagement of where I need you to go. So you can see how this is going to be used for you. So, so you can see how you can benefit from it. And you can see how easy it is to, you know, whatever, utilize my whatever. Then your brain says number three, which is commitment, execution, or win. So that means buying it. I mean, I need to take you to the, to the, to the e-commerce cart. That's very simple and easy. I've got to show you an easy way to come to my event. I got to show you an easy way to, to start this job at my organization next Tuesday doing this. I have to make the first couple of days so easy for you to start. It's hard for you to back out of the job. So I can use this three-step formula I've created of awareness, engagement, and, and commitment in any model that's out there. So it's absolutely powerful in terms of how we look at these things. So again, back to leadership. As a leader, you've got to make your organization one that people want to be a part of because they understand what and why you're there. I mean, recently we had a federal holiday, Mother's Day. That's a federal holiday. Miss Mother's Day, you're in deep trouble. You're going to jail. <laughs> so, so you're right. So, see, I love it. So what's interesting is that I went on this one website to order flowers. This, this website was for a florist in the town where my, where my stepmom lives. And there was no way in the world to do step three. I saw the flowers I wanted, awareness. I saw exactly the one I wanted to send to her. That's engagement. So I've been pulled into their site. They had no e-commerce ability on that website. And if they did, whoever's managing the website should be shot. There was no way to buy anything. So then I'm trying to find the phone number so I can call them. It was almost impossible to find a phone number. Then when I found it, I dialed it, it rang forever. I mean, they weren't even old school enough to have a phone recorder working. So they lost a business because they did step one. They, they did step two, but there was no way of doing step three. So mm -hmm. back to sales. If we in sales do a great job finding the person who can best be served by what we have has the biggest need or pain or deficit or hunger for what we want, what we want to offer. Step one, and you engage them in a non-combative, non-confrontational friend, conversational way. One, they will always take you to number two and say, Alex, tell me more about this product. Tell me more about how this works. Tell me more about how you're going to shovel my driveway. I see that you're standing in my doorway. I don't see a shovel. Oh, it's, oh per, per. so they're going to want to know the number two. Once they know the number two, then they will instantly say, well, how much do you want to shovel my driveway? You want five bucks? Tell it, not a problem. As soon as it's done, I'm going to stand here in the window and watch. And I really appreciate it because I'm, you know, I can't do my drive when I'm too old or I'm injured or I, whatever. And, and, and they see you come up to the door and they maybe they even hand you, you know, you know, a warm drink and a $10 bill because you did a great job. Wow. Number three has been done. It's easy and simple. So again, the, the sell number three, the, the exchange of, of money, let's say number three should be so anticlimactic because you do step one and two so well, three is an automatic. Mm, now, I the love only that. reason you won't make the sale happen in B2B business is because one of your earlier questions, leadership has an ego and they suck and they're being protected by the institution. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Dr. Jeff, man, and, and you know what? You talk about formulas. I mean, you started you, you started that off, you know, when we first started this interview, you're talking about how you love formulas. And that was just another formula coming Thank to you. life. Exactly. Make That's life it. easy, folks. If you're making it hard, it's because you're living by a hard formula. Mm. Dr. Jeff, man, I appreciate his, you know, all your, your insights and your information. How can my listeners get more of you? 
Thank you so much. So two ways. One, again, my name's right there on the screen, so check the spelling. But you can go to jeffreymcgee.com, and then you can see the resources, books, audios, videos, blogs, podcasts. Uh, again, if you are a business leader, business owner, you can see the actual leadership and sales training work programs we have and uh, through our Leadership Academy of Excellence as an example. Uh, if you want to look at when I'm doing a public program under events, I do two different programs throughout the course of the year. They can check that out. The other place, again, I do a, a professional magazine called Performance Magazine. Every quarter, I get phenomenal personalities to write for us and share a sliver of their mental DNA on success. Been doing it for 30 years. So they can go to that landing page, which is professional performancemagazine.com. So professionalperformancemagazine.com is my media company. Um, you can subscribe for digital issues. We'll give you a free subscription by your participation here today. You can you know, subscribe for hard print editions to be mailed to you. And if you want to look at back issues and have any of those, go for it. I have major professional athletes, celebrities, last four presidents of the United States, world leaders, uh, C-suite executives. American Indian heritage is a fascination of mine. So I always have tribal Indian chief right. I work with the National Guard and across the differing 54 states and territories. So I always have a adjutant general right. So phenomenal personalities that I'm able to, to access and get them to share their, their, their thoughts on success for you or my benefit each, each day. Mm, I love that. Thank you for asking, Alex. Yeah, you got it. Dr. Jeff, I'm definitely going to have to have to have you on again thank to you. get more information, more insights. But um, I want to just thank you so much for being a guest on The Shark Effect. You bet. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, you own your success. You are your own legacy. Make it an awesome day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for High Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to transition, whether you was an athlete, or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever if you're looking to transition into something different this book can help you i break it down i lay down the foundation of who you want to be i have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership which is influence and you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making that can help you with influencing others and how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. OK, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement.